0: Uh, If you want to follow along uh, with me, it's Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8 and 9. It says, The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. Let's pray. Our great and mighty Heavenly Father, our simple prayer this morning is that our hearts and our minds can be open to your truth, that Father, you could guide and lead us today in all wisdom and grace, that your Holy Spirit will lead as we study. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you know Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, is quoted three times in the New Testament? It says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. You can find this passage quoted by Paul twice in Romans chapter 4, 3, and Galatians chapter 3, 6 and you can also find this passage quoted by James in James chapter 2 verse 23 and in each instance that it is quoted the writer has one purpose to help us understand that righteousness can only be attained through faith in Jesus Christ can i have an amen for that that's the hope that we profess as christians That we are made righteous because of the new gift of life, because of the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we are made clean because of the blood of the Lamb. And so today, as we approach the topic of righteous prayer, I want to remind each and every one of us that we are only made righteous because of the free gift of God, not because of anything we do. To quote Paul, if righteousness could be gained by the law, then Christ, he died for nothing. And it's within this context we approach today's topic. I want to look at what it means for us to have righteous prayers. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be associated with the wicked here in this passage. God detests the way. God detests the sacrifice of the wicked. I don't want that. I don't want that for you. I want the way and prayer that God loves. So let's follow along in our notes with this passage by first writing down that righteousness cannot be fabricated righteousness cannot be fabricated do you see the comparison in the text today between the private and inward prayer versus the outward ritual of sacrifice if i show up one sunday with a million dollar check And I say, I want to build a gym for Cornerstone Christian Church. You all would think, wow, what a sacrifice. Maybe you might praise me for my religious zeal. Maybe you'll even name the building after me. But does that prove that I'm a righteous person? Does my sacrifice reflect what is happening inside of my heart? Only God knows. Because when it's just me and God, when the door is closed, when no one is looking, when I'm talking to the Heavenly Father, then there's clarity about who's righteous. You know, we need to start by defining the word righteousness. Righteousness defined. The root word is straightness, conforming to a standard or norm. Do you know in Washington, D.C., there's a building called the National Institute for Standards and Technology. It's a facility responsible for storing perfect samples of weights and measurements. They have what's called prototypes there, prototypes of pounds, kilograms, Measuring rods for feet, yards, metric measurements like meters. And I think about another place that has a standard. A perfect measurement for what it means to be righteous. And that's God. Righteousness is not something that can be fabricated because biblical righteousness means to live a life that is conformed to the holy character of God. There is one standard measurement, and that is the holy character of God. You see, all of this is important because people who try to fabricate righteousness are dangerous people and Paul warns us about these kind of people in 2nd Timothy chapter 3 he says but mark this there will be terrible times in the last days people will be lovers of themselves lovers of money they'll be boastful they'll be proud they'll be abusive they'll be disobedient to their parents ungrateful unholy without love unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. They'll be brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having, listen to this, a form of godliness, but denying its power. And we're told to not have anything to do with these kind of people. In that same passage, Paul goes on to say that some of these folks will try to worm their way into homes of widows and take advantage of them. Have nothing to do with them. A form of godliness, a fabricated godliness. But righteousness cannot be fabricated. Also, notice in the text that righteousness must be nurtured. Righteousness, it's got to be nurtured. We're told that God loves those who pursue righteousness. I love the Hebrew word here for pursue, it's the same word as those who hunt. Those who hunt. I've never gone hunting before, so bear with me as I try to think through this definition with you. Imagine if I were a good hunter. I would probably want to understand that which I'm hunting, right? Why do people sit in a stand hunting deer? Because when you're walking through the woods, what do those deer hear, right? They got great sense of hearing, so you sit in a stand. Why do you use dogs to hunt raccoons? Probably because the dogs can tree that raccoon and they have that bark that the hunter understands and can go to. Have you ever thought of righteousness as something that could be hunted? A prey that we must study in order that we might one day catch it. There was a great man who had a camel that was wasting away. It seemed like it was at the point of death. He said, Look to the simple son of the desert. Here is my camel. I've tried cordials. I've tried elixirs. I've tried basalms, balsams. I've tried lotions. But alas, all of it is in vain. And the plain man looked at the hollow sides of the camel. He stared at the bones projecting from his ribs. Oh, most learned philosopher, your camel need but one thing. What is it, my son, said the old wise man? Food. Good food. You need to feed your camel. Dear me, cried the philosopher, I never thought of that. If you want to catch righteousness, you must feed it. Food, good food, and plenty of it. It is the psalmist who gave us this metaphor in Psalm chapter 1 that says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of the sinners, or take sit." "...in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night, right? That person, we're told, is like a tree that's planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf it does not wither. Whatever they do, it prospers." To be planted by a stream means that you have kept yourself from being polluted by the world and that you have embraced God's word, studying and applying the truth of the love in your life. You are planted right there. In summary, righteousness can now be fabricated and it must be nurtured. And I'll give you one final thought this morning. Righteousness demands perseverance. It demands perseverance. Solomon left this one out, didn't he? He didn't include it in his proverb. Why not? Y'all know what happened to Solomon at the end of his life? In all of his wisdom, in all of his righteousness, in all of his love for the Lord, he eventually went astray. Solomon was unable to persevere in righteousness. For an action plan and perseverance, I want to turn our direction to the writing of Paul in Galatians chapter 5. So I say... Walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other. So you're not able to do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. So Paul confirms that we need perseverance. There's a pull for your heart, we're told. One is flesh. Flesh is evil in this instance. The other is spirit. Spirit desires what is good. And so we have this pull that's happening. And we've got to persevere and live by the spirit. We've got to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. But also, Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you, however, know all about my teaching, he said, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions and sufferings. He tells Timothy, you know what happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra? Oh, horrible things. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Hear what Paul's saying there? Not only is our flesh our evil nature, our sinful nature, fighting with the Spirit. Not only is that happening, but there are others in this world who don't want you to live a godly life. He said everyone who wants to live a godly life is going to be persecuted. There are external forces and internal forces that are at work trying to bring us down but we must persevere. Righteousness cannot be fabricated. And the second point, righteousness must be nurtured, and righteousness must persevere. I think marriage is one of the best metaphors for relationships with God. You all see uh, my wedding ring out there? This wedding ring represents the fact that I am married, that I belong to Jessica and she belongs to me. But you know what you can't see with this wedding ring? You can't see my heart. Jessica desires for me to be honest in our relationship. She wants me to nurture our relationship. She wants me to persevere against the forces of flesh and the influences of this world. And I think the, the cup is the same way. I'm going to Dennis to come up and share with us a beautiful hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. And I invite you to go to one of these communion stations this morning to take a cup. On the bottom cup there's bread and on the top of the cup there is juice. And these emblems represent our marriage to God. It represents our honesty what's really going on in our hearts. It represents nourishment that we must nurture righteousness. And it represents perseverance. We come together every Sunday to persevere. But these emblems represent the covenant relationships that we belong to him and he belongs to us. A covenant that makes us clean. Let's worship him together and pray. Father, I'm thankful for your son Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the love that you have for each and every one of us. I'm thankful, Lord, that you came, that you died to make us righteous before you. And as we celebrate you this morning, we lift up all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.